And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe Devine. Hello, Seb Stafford-Bloor. You and I have a special guest today, don't we? Because we Alex sure is away. He's had the weekend off. He, he texted us at about uh, four o'clock on Sunday uh, to say, oh, I took the wrong weekend off because all the football was good. Ha ha ha! What a fool. But uh, his loss is our gain, isn't it? Because today we can reintroduce, uh, for the uh, for the second time in, a, in this game-ready era that we're in, the mill man, the miller man, the Dr. Miller, the, uh, the, the, large, the large mill, the flour mill, Nick Miller. Hello. I actually <laughs> arranged this all. Um, I uh, gave Alex the sense that this was going to be a poor weekend of football, so he took it off <laughs> and then arranged some really good football. So firstly, I would be invited onto the podcast and then have some stuff to talk about. So it was all oh, me. That's why they call him Milliavelli. That's his other nickname. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for joining us, Nick Miller. Today... Nick Miller joins us to talk about uh, Tottenham, Manchester United, West Ham, Leicester City. Uh, we also do the, the Man City-Leeds game, uh, some broad themes. Hey, we travel to the continent to discuss Stuttgart and Dortmund, and also Real Madrid-Barcelona, El Clasico, of course. Of course I knew that was happening. And there's a final uh, rotundment, uh, that's not a word, all the way to Joe's Quotes and Facts database at the end of the podcast. Extra longy today. It's an extra longy episode. Uh, so stick with us uh, because it's it's really it's really worth it at the end as uh, it definitely is 100%. You'll be happy you got to the end. That's what people say, isn't it? Um, hey, by the way, speaking of getting to the end, if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you'll find that you've come to the end of doing anything else in life because all you want to do is read The Athletic. That's right. The Athletic is the best place for sports journalism online. And for the low price of three ninety nine a month for the first six months, you can enjoy all of the things that I have described now and in the past on The Athletic. Uh, it's actually a really great app. And uh, we even post TIFO videos there without adverts on them. And this TIFO podcast is posted there without the adverts too. Uh, so, you know, that's a great way of supporting us by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. And uh, that would be great. So, yeah. Anyway, that's all for now. Uh, and uh, for today, I will leave you in the, the warm hands and the very, very cool embrace of Millie Avelli. Tottenham won three Manchester United. A big game. It was a big game for everyone involved. And one that clearly mattered to supporters. A uh, friend of the podcast, Paul Ansorge, was tweeting beforehand about his emotional uh, involvement with the game. Unwanted, I believe. Followed it up with a, a wry tweet saying, I hope that we win the Sheringham Berbatov Carrick Trophy. He's, of course, a Manchester United fan. And that's a reminder that this rivalry does uh, or did sort of, you know, exist before Jose Mourinho. But we will talk about him. Yeah. Great second half. Manchester United kicking into a gear that Tottenham just couldn't keep up with on the day. 
uh, goals from Cavani, Greenwood and Fred, of all people, uh, to answer Son's very well-taken first half goal. Let's do Tottenham first, though, Seb, because it'll be funnier. Uh, Mourinho, same story as United, as we have discussed before. It's not really an if, but it's a when, probably. Um, how much longer until it's over do you think, not do you want? Ooh, okay, that's quite conflicting. I soon it has to be soon because I I think what has done it for quite a few people was probably the weird little rant afterwards about Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's comment about Son. <laughs> yeah. It's a kind of cla- it was the jump the shark moment with his distraction tactics. It's saying you, you do always have to feed your kids though, Seb. That's just you, you do. Know, it is important he, he is, he... <laughs> for the sake of avoiding any kind of confusion. Let me just say that I absolutely advocate the feeding of people's children. That is a good thing. You also, also, just if I could butt in here, bread you is mean. bread and cheese is cheese. So, you know, <laughs> That's true. You, can't, you can't pick holes in the facts, to be fair. No, you can't. I feel like translated back into Mourinho's native Portuguese, that might be a little bit more, I don't know, a catchier kind of idiom. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Uh, soon, I hope. Look, it's, it's, uh, it's not going anywhere, is it? It has to, has to be brought to an end. I mean, maybe at the point at which uh, Tottenham potentially don't qualify for the Champions League through... Premier League finishing positions that would seem like a natural point well I I just don't see that as a realistic goal anyway I mean I know the table suggested it might be but if you look at the teams above them Jack Pitbrook wrote a very fine article this morning for The Athletic in which he said that uh, yes Spurs are on the heels of Liverpool Chelsea and West Ham but they're significantly worse than all three of them I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much what he said and he's right the the goal now is actually to probably secure Europa League qualification yeah. because club needs a revenue source I, I honestly think the best way of the the best uh chance Tottenham have of doing that is to get rid of Jose Mourinho now just get him away from the players and see if you can ride a little bit of a bounce and then think again in the summer about what to do full-time because it, it's uh it just looks very alienating I I, I I watched down I don't know if you guys saw this but I I caught um Son Hyung Min's interview after the game and he's probably the happiest, smiliest player in the club's history. And he looked like he wanted to burst into tears afterwards. And yeah, well, saying, I'm, I was gonna, I, I'm going to come to that because I yeah. think um, I think we, we can discuss uh, players. Some of the other players looked a little bit uh, disappointed afterwards. And of course, there was the news of Harry Kane too. But before we do, a question for the millman. Um, you, you, I assume you watched uh, the All or Nothing series on Tottenham. You would have seen how much Daniel Levy was, uh, you know... Uh, how much admiration he appeared to have for Jose Mourinho. Put yourself in the shoes of Mr. Levy. Uh, what would you be doing and thinking at this point? You, you know what, actually? I think I'm one of the only people who didn't watch the, the uh, Tottenham All or Nothing. Um, ah. Because I, He's I, like a I doting just... grandmother. He's very excited. Like, he can't get enough. <laughs> it's like he's sitting with a famous person. He's allowed to go to l- lunch every day with uh, Jethro Tull or something, you know? Not that, but something else. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Just for the um, to pull back the curtain uh, of the on on the podcast here. Before we were recording, Joe was uh, having a dig at Seb for using arcane references, and he pulls Jethro Tull out of the bag for this one. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, anyway, yes. Yeah, so Levy... glad you've revealed the hypocrisy at the heart of this podcast. It's, just, it's been a long the rotten, time coming. The rotten yeah. core at the heart of the TFO podcast. Um, I don't know. He, he it's it, it's odd because he seems to be a kind of a very kind of logical, um, sort of, uh, pragmatic man. So it sort of 
I know it, it in in some ways it humanizes him too because you kind of think of him as this kind of business machine and the, the guy who was kind of um, stalking around the the um, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as it was being built and you know pointing at a light switch and saying I don't need <laughs> I, I want that different that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But but to see him kind of so so sort of puppyishly impressed by a, by another human being. Or it almost makes me warm to him, but then you think, no, that other human being is Jose Mourinho. I'm not. I can't. <laughs> you know, I can't countenance this. Um, particularly when it's actively damaging the 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 football club that he is supposed to be in charge of. I mean, you kind of mentioned before that it's, it's kind of the same old story as as United, and of course it it, it is in in many respects, but. Um, I know Jose Mourinho gets a lot of he got a, a lot of um, flack for that whole thing where he said um, finishing second with that United team was the greatest achievement in his career or whatever it was. But that, while that was was obviously kind of nonsense to a certain degree, he look looking at the squad in that season they overachieved. I think it's very different with this Tottenham team is in that they are quite evidently less than the sum of their parts. I mean, even if you don't rate the defence or, you know, or the midfield or whatever, and, you know, we could get into Roy Keane versus Jamie Redknapp territory quite easily here. But um, any team with Son and Kane up front and the various kind of other, other attacking talents and there's no way that they should be seventh and by the time this pod goes out, possibly eighth. So while I do kind of almost warm to Daniel Levy for being so um, childishly impressed with a, with a, a famous man that he's managed to sort of attract to his club, it, yeah. not if it's, you know, damaging that club. Well, I think also, I mean, you make a really good point because uh, I said the same old story as United, but one of the key differences was the... Um, the place in which both teams were at relatively before Mourinho arrived. Now, Manchester United had won the FA Cup under Louis van Gaal, but uh, the manager had, or, you know, the decision had already been made to let him go. Fans were very disappointed with the sort of the football that appeared to be kicking the ball sideways and backwards, and there was a general unhappiness about the situation. Uh, you know, relatively, or at least in comparison to what they were achieving relatively recently under Ferguson. Uh, whereas Tottenham, uh, everybody loved Pochettino, right? Uh, they played this exciting brand of football, which had tailed off a little bit towards uh, the end of Pochettino's reign there. But it wasn't like uh, the supporters were, you know, generally or overwhelmingly unhappy with what was happening uh, before Mourinho arrived. So I think there probably is a is a bit of a difference there too. Um, let's talk about the players, though. Seb, you hinted at it before, but it did feel like a bit of a watershed moment after the game for some of these players. Um, I continue to watch uh, the uh, the broadcasting footage. And they all looked extremely unhappy. There was a moment where Kane looked like he just wanted to head straight down the tunnel and Mourinho sort of had to summon him back for a for a limp handshake. Son was obviously dismayed as well. He couldn't seemed to couldn't couldn't understand what had happened. You assume some of them must be thinking about their futures. Uh, and in fact, of course, on Saturday the Athletic reported that Harry Kane is considering just that. Um if Spurs don't qualify for the Champions League next season, Seb. So it did have the look of an end game where players were suddenly thinking oh, maybe I should get out of here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you can't really blame them because uh, what are they What are they supposed to be part of it? It just it shows that the players seem to have given up on, I, I, it's a horrible kind of footballism, but the project, they don't really have any faith in what the club is doing under Mourinho. And maybe this goes deeper. Maybe this is about what the club is doing under Enoch 
um, and what the you know a, a lot of these players came through with Pochettino they were on the verge of you know, winning significant trophies and they have kind of fallen back off that and must that must be very very dispiriting because if you get to that point and you don't have the reinforcement from the board the financial reinforcement and the support then you think why am I sticking around here and yeah. if you're Kane if you're Son both in their primes both probably got one more big contract left to sign in their careers both then, played in the Champions League final for Spurs right both have played in the Champions League final both are regarded as world-class players quite rightly I mean I, I think there's a very big difference between Harry Kane wanting to leave Tottenham and Harry Kane being allowed to leave Tottenham that's you know I, I just you, you you can't see because I primarily because I think if Daniel Levy sanctions Harry Kane's sale, I think that has to be one of the last things Daniel Levy does as chairman. I don't think the relationship between the fan base and him is retrievable once that happens. So that's very difficult. But you can't blame them. And I, I, fair enough. Why would you want to be part of this? Also, why would you want to be part of this if you were a forward? I mean, ironically, Son and Kane have played some great football at times this, this, this season. But if you look at sort of the tactics employed particularly yesterday I think between Tottenham taking the lead and Manchester United equalizing I, I put this on Twitter but I think Tottenham had something like 25% possession yeah it's just so predictable and so fearful I, Jonathan Wilson wrote a, a fine piece in the Guardian about the kind of the fear that Mourinho imbues his football teams with now and that was that was the best example you could probably find from the whole of the season but you also uh, think, like, you know, talking about Manchester United as well, I guess we can maybe move on to... I I'll tell you what, United let's good. do Harry Kane first before we go. Okay. Um, okay. Because Harry Kane, uh, as you say, like, the difference between him wanting to leave and being allowed to leave is is, is quite significant. Uh, he is not uh, super near the end of his contract. He'll obviously be ex- extremely expensive. And, and uh, crucially as well, uh, Nick Miller, this comes at a time when the the market isn't quite right for a player of that calibre to be sold, right? We would think if there are going to be any deals for over 100 million euros this summer, it's going to be for a player like Holland or Mbappe or a player who has significantly longer uh, or is shorter in the tooth, would they say. Harry Kane feels like the wrong person to buy for the wrong amount of money at the wrong time this summer. Yeah, I think it was a point made um, in the, the athletic piece that... Um, that sort of reported that Kane was looking to try and force his way out. That you know he, for, well, I mean, you know, firstly he has kind of he did himself over by signing this was a six-year contract a couple of years ago, yeah. um, thus kind of drastically reducing his options, which is a sort of you know a, a, a welcomed at the time as being the you know the, a a sign of. Um, unfashionable loyalty to uh, to a a particular club, um, but he's just yeah. It, it, it's the sort of signing that kind of that someone would have made three or four years ago. Someone would have you know said, well, okay, I'll, I'll we we'll take it's say we we sign this guy for five years, and the last two, last two years are um, are kind of. You know he's he's over thirty then, and he's 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 a bit creaky. But the 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 first three years will be worth the hundred and twenty million or hundred fifty million or whatever it is. But clubs just aren't able to able or you know willing able whatever to spend that kind of money. And it's it's a, it's a similar thing with with Mo Salah really. He, he the, the there are sort of constant 
sort of background fridge buzz noises that he, he might want to kind of move on to somewhere else. But the the main candidates for to to, to spend that kind the kind of money that it would take are firstly it haven't got the money and if they have got the money if they can kind of you know reach down the back of the sofa and scrabble together enough pennies to to uh, pay a lot of money then as you said they are going to go for someone younger and you know uh, more more promising more exciting arguably better than uh, in you know Holland or or Mbappe um so it's... do you think man city might be the sort of team who'd go for it if they missed out on Holland yeah, possibly, but um, I mean, the, the, there is. We, we talked about the kind of um, the, the stubbornness of Daniel Levy before. He, I would imagine that he won't, uh, or, or you know, will do his best not to countenance selling Kane to a to a different to, to a, another English club. I Which wonder basically that, makes him unsellable at the moment due to the kind of, financial yeah. situation in I, I, in other countries. I wondered that this was a, a sort of hypothetical. I, saw, I think I saw on on Twitter the other day. Has the relationship uh, and and Seb, you, you could maybe answer this either personally or as a kind of you know vibe of the general Tottenham support. But let's say you sell Harry. You can you, you, if you sell Harry Kane for hundred twenty million. Let's say, uh, and that guarantees that Jose Mourinho is gone on the same day. Do you ta- <laughs> do you take that deal? Do I personally? Uh, let's go personally, and you, you think with the, the the kind of wider fan base. Yeah, I think I take it because I I think personally speaking, I think Kane is owed a, a better chance than at Silver than Tottenham are currently giving him. This is not like Modric or Bale who cashed in, you know, a few fleeting years at success. Although you know, extraordinary performances, just to say, right, want to move up further in the game. Kane has given Tottenham every chance to to build something around him. And for a while they did, and then they just dismantled it. So I, I think so. But also I, I, I think, um, I, I, I mean, I, I would settle for something even less than that because I don't think you can even make the argument that, oh, we're like, you know, let's, let's sell Harry Kane and reinvest the money because do you have any trust in Tottenham to reinvest it well? I don't think so. So I think the... I think you bite the bullet with Mourinho, irrespective of what you do with Kane, you bite the bullet with Mourinho, you settle for a couple of years of meagre transfer policy, perhaps giving perhaps giving uh, some of the younger players, you know, the sort of the, the Dane Scarlet types, you know, um, kind of a run into the, the first team for a couple of years, you know, a few the, gradual The pot minutes, man but... cometh, Seb, the pot man? Just anyone else, anyone else, anyone else, anyone else. Just, uh, it can be, uh, I, I don't know, to be honest with you, you can manage Tottenham by Twitter poll for like, a, I mean, it, it, it just, it, yeah, just make it stop. It just, it okay. just say, we, we, kind of, we, we kind of mentioned it uh, earlier, but the, 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 the sad Sun Hung Min thing, it just seems to be, that's that seems the final straw. You can take the dismal performances or the kind of performative, distracting nonsense after the games and... You, Mourinho's general kind of all-round um, kind of awful vibe, but making Son unhappy, that's, that's the thing. Well, drain the, the sun, sure. you got to go. You, you, you know what's really telling is that people aren't actually that angry. They just don't care. And that's much, much worse. And if you're, if you're Daniel Levy, that's the thing that you should be worried about. When, when supporters are raging, it's okay, because that's what supporters do. It's one of the two states that they exist in. When they just don't give a shit, that's the time when you have to start thinking about it. Well, because you're also... 
you were in a lose-lose situation in 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 uh, yesterday's game because it feels to me watching it like either Spurs are going to lose as you would expect them to, and that'll be kind of depressing and a continuation of the current state of affairs, or Mourinho is going to win and it's all going to be about Mourinho, and then Spurs fans are left with a situation where you have one of those events <laughs> that extends the inevitable, you know, like one of those yeah, milestones tricky. which pushes the end date by another month or something because oh, remember that Man United game? Maybe that was. Uh, Maybe that was a sign of things to come. Like it seems like a lose lose. I, I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, during the game, you always want the team to win. I, I speak for myself, can't speak for everybody, but it, it, I just, I, I know what you're getting at, and you're right. It is a really awkward situation to be in, but it tends to be an awkward situation after full time. During the game, you want the side to win always. Regardless you of always want the side to win, but but yeah. the point I'm making is that Mourinho takes the win for himself. That's yeah, what the, it feels like. The losses are about the players, the wins are about him. And, but yeah, that's what yeah, it feels like. And it's much, kind of yeah. upsetting. Anyway, speaking of the win, Man United, they did a win. Uh, they extended their unbeaten streak away from home. Uh, they've won something ridiculous, like 25 points from losing positions. Um, and as a team, they do feel closer to that top elite group than they have done in a long time, Seb. I sure do. They were actually great on Sunday, I thought. They um, were. Do you yeah. know what they did? They Tom. played a game of football and they won it and dominated it in a way where they didn't have to score goals on the counter-attack or they didn't have to, they didn't score goals in the way that we've come to know them do extremely well for the last, you know, year or two. They it felt like they'd added a dimension to that to that game. In it fact, we are going to talk Joe. about Cavani. Hmm? It it was intricate. It wasn't it was pace and uh capitalizing on numerical mismatches. There were some really nice interchanges around the edge of the box that I thought, particularly for the for the equalising goal, I thought that was a brilliant move for the Fred goal. Yeah, <laughs> that goal reminded me of. Do you remember that goal Olivier Giroud? No, Jack Wilshere scored that amazing Arsenal goal where Olivier Giroud did the back heel. It was not the very like end. That. It, it was no, I know like it was nothing that. like that, but positionally, it was it had nothing of that grace. But it like Fred started in the place where Wilshere started, and he scored from the place where Wilshere scored, and he made the same passes in the same directions. That's why it reminded me of it. There was that still it was, managed to make no it look tightness. a bit clumsy. There was no, but it yeah. was. Yeah, I take your point. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was the poor man's version of that goal. But I was like, is that Fred? Fred gives and receives three passes and then scores. What? It's like almost as if to you know add insult to injury in this game. Fred scored. Uh, it was I like also, Fred. I think he gets a bad rep. It was also the the, the, the it, what it was a victory earned by sort of not every ten players standing around and kind of shrugging and then Bruno Fernandez does, does something yeah. extraordinary. Which oh absolutely. You know, this is this is this is kind of. I don't know. Is this progression? Is this uh, a, a team kind of learning and Im- improving before our very eyes? It could well be. I think it's Paul Progression Pogba. What do you think? <laughs> uh, yes, quite possibly. Um, and it's, it's it's probably not a sort of huge coincidence that he's he, he. I don't know when did he kind of start come back in the team and start to be actually good About a month a couple of months ago maybe. Yeah, six month six weeks ago. Probably not a coincidence that they seem to have kind of progressed once they've you know finally found a found a decent home for for Pogba. As I, I you you mentioned them sort of coming back to to win ludicrous amounts of points. I, I looked up the, the they have um, equalised so, so that they have um, conceded a goal leading uh, conceded a lead to opponent fifteen times and equalised eleven times this season. Um, which is seventy three percent, and I, I don't think any other club in, um, in fact, no other club in the Premier League has got more than fifty percent of that. Um, 
just as a sort of illustration, Liverpool have also conceded the lead uh, 15 times and they've equalised six times. So I, I don't know. It's it, 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 That kind of thing is always only really explainable by intangibles. You can, you know, oh, it's the you know, good good team spirit or they, you know, they never give up or they're playing for Ole or whatever it is. So it's 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 a little bit difficult for us to kind of put our finger on exactly why that's happening. But it, it's it's happened, obviously it's happened too many times for it to be, you know, a coincidence or fluke or anything like that. And also he always talks about it, right? That was kind of, it's a bit of a joke when Solskjaer first returned to United that he did that Ferguson impression. He repeatedly talked about, uh, talked about the um, the values of the culture when he was there as a player. And one of those things, you know, you can never count the team out. Obviously he is the, the perfect um the perfect emblem of that uh, for the 1999 Champions League final. You can never count United out. He, he referenced that repeatedly over and over again when he first arrived. And now, as you say, you can see it happening. So it doesn't it doesn't feel like a, a coincidence, does it? That thing of him kind of for the first year or so of his tenure just repeating, this is Manchester United. Or, as a slight variation on it, this is Manchester United Football Club. Maybe we, you know we all took the piss out of him. And I think I think the last time I was on this podcast, we may have even take the piss out of him for saying that. But maybe we were the fools all along. Maybe this is think, it's yeah. all that was just simply laying the groundwork, and it's manifested itself in this kind of you know uh, the, the, this, these great powers of redemption throughout the season. You know, I can. I, I think humans are just. Um... <laughs> <laughs> easy to work because I feel like I'm an intelligent person yeah with, with critical thinking abilities and, and and I can go I see what's happening here but when the advert tells me to buy coke you know are you, are you about it. to tell us that you've been manipulated by Oliver Solskjaer's rhetoric that's is that right where we're heading with this this okay. is Manchester United football club um what we're doing right now that's what this is it's very confusing for anyone who's not actually working at the club if they if they keep hearing the same message that the players hear they get i think i live in manchester united football club and i am confused about where i work and you know it's a, it's a very confusing time um let's talk about cavani now though because i don't think here's here's a hot take for you it's a hot take i don't think united score those first two goals without cavani or at least with Martial or the other options that they would ordinarily play in that space. If he does decide to, re- to return to South America next season, which is something that, which is very much on the cards, I think the club, surely, this experience will have to have taught them that surely they have to replace him in order to win those sorts of games. We talked about Paul Pogba's influence maybe adding another dimension to, to what Fernandez already provides. Cavani was totally crucial in those first two goals, and I feel like, yeah, they need a striker that isn't Anthony Martial. Uh, what do you think, Seb? I agree with you entirely, Joe. I don't think United have another player who moves in the box like Cavani. No. So that no, header was so great. I know it was I, really simple, yeah, but like yeah. just the, like just that he executed it everything well. I just thought, oh, that's that was good. It was like, do you remember the the header he scored against England in the 2014 World Cup? Mm, Very mm-hmm. much like that. I mean, it was it was obviously a different corner, but it was. It was just clever. It just it took note of the, the goalkeeper's position. It found exactly the right spot in the goal. It was lovely. Also, I really liked his finish for the um, for the disallowed first goal. Love the way he moves away from the defensive line and just and positions his shot. Like he's he's just such a smart forward. You can't if you're Manchester United, you can't go into next season either without him or without someone that kind of has a does a pretty good Edison Cavani impression. I think. 
Who's that though? I mean, yeah, if I they're not going to get, you know, uh, Holland, for example, who's you know obviously is wanted by everybody and may not leave. I don't know if there is if there is a player out there that is, I mean Edison Cavani, as referenced by Gary Neville multiple times every single time he plays football uh, in the commentary, he's the best at that, isn't he? That the in the box front post movement stuff. Yeah, I just I, I still have a little bit of a worry about United uh, about their propensity to do something silly in the transfer market because you could see they've they've released well they've they've leaked a, a kind of a briefing where they've said. Uh, if the if the price for Erling Haaland is too high, we're going to walk away and you know pursue our other options, which means they might have a run at Harry Kane, but that's going to cost an awful lot of money. So yeah. you could kind of see them doing something a little bit reckless, like I, see, narrow I feel a like... or something like that. You know, <laughs> I feel like the uh, the Harry Kane thing is an example of the sort of thing they would have done three years ago. I feel like actually that opinion is is a legacy opinion now. You know, Which that one? in the, in the trans that that the, that they could that they have a silly transfer in them because they haven't made one for three years. Like they, they've actually made really smart acquisitions since Solskjaer arrived. I feel like and I feel like Cavani Cavani felt like a return to that, and now we can clearly see that you know it it, it wasn't. Um, but they haven't made they haven't done one of those silly transfers for a while. I think they I think they they I think know, they the still are still burned by Sanchez. No, well, yeah, but they're Man United. I, they can't not overpay. Like that's not fair well, you, to level at the at the directors. I don't think they. they it's just a situation that they're in. Well, um, you, you you can do. I mean, you can. <laughs> you don't have to always follow through and pay the tax. I, I accept completely that Man United are subject to that tax. Yeah, but, but then they get loads of shit when they don't. Like this is the other thing. You know, like the, the most people's response to what you said about them. You know, leaking that 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 briefing that they, they'll walk away if it's too expensive. That, that just, like, pisses fans off. They get upset about that. Man United have a reputation for not paying what they should in it, from the fans, and from outside they have a reputation for overpaying. I feel like it's a sort of winless situation. But I, I do want to defend them in this case because I feel like the Harry Kane thing, not that Harry Kane would be a bad transfer, but that I, I do think the Alexis Sanchez transfer burned them. I think they remember that because they haven't made a bad one for, th- for three years. Well, I, I, if you look at sort of if you look at the individual deals, I, I'm not sure I entirely agree. I don't I don't think Alex Telles is, is a particularly good player. Uh, I look think what he did to Luke Shaw. What he, he did to Luke Shaw that makes Luke... that yeah, makes it no, sound no, like so... he's bullying him in training. <laughs> no, <laughs> listen, he arrived, he arrived, and now Luke okay. Shaw is in the best form of his career and is a uh, back back playing for England and was the best player in the first half of this game. He's probably play, Man United's player of the season, right? If it wasn't for but silly that, old Bruno Fernandez, his rejuvenation began before he arrived at the club. It, so, uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. No, I, I, I think I think that's one of the things you credit Solskjaer for. I think the, uh, the Aaron Wan-Bissaka fee was much too large. I really like him as a defensive player. I think there are good offensive elements to him, but it's a little bit tricky. I, I think, think the there's a Manchester United Maguire, tax. I think there's a Manchester United yeah, there, there tax. There always is, but then this is, it's, it's not necessarily just a Man United tax. It's a big Champions League qualifying club tax that all clubs at Man United's uh, level of the I game. Think a, I think there's an additional Manchester United tax. Millman, pe- uh, weigh in here, the Millman. <laughs> I think the, the, the problem is that there, there is a Manchester United tax, but the, 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 the problem being that Manchester United don't seem to realise that there's a Manchester United tax. So the, the, <laughs> the thing was that they, that like, so with, with Fernandes, obviously, you know, no, no one can question the signing. He's been a brilliant That was player. an excellent transfer. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's bailed them out of uh, many, many problems in, in the past year or so. But the thing, the thing about that was that they, they spent about three or four months dicking around when 
Sporting, was it Sporting? It was Sporting, wasn't it? Yeah. Basically said, this is how much we want for him. And United spent however long kind of messing around, going, you know, trying to get a lower fee and thinking that they could negotiate like any other uh, any other football club. And then in the kind of last days of the transfer window, they eventually just ended up paying the money that, that the Sporting asked for in the first place. So they kind of wasted all that time and, you know, wasted however many games they would have extra got out of Fernandes. And the same, the similar thing with Jadon Sancho. They spent the whole of last summer basically kind of trying to stare Dortmund out by say by and thinking that, you know, they were going to, again, they were going to negotiate like a normal football club and they were going to get him for less money than they thought when... The, the the thinking that you know Dortmund were bluffing or is this that this was a kind of negotiating tactic when as it turns out it wasn't um but and they just said well okay if you're not going to pay this money then you know you, you're not going to have him then you know and the the, the the kind of the artful leak of the 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 well if 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 Dortmund are asking too much money for Holland then we're just going to walk away just sounds like a kind of a, a, another a, another sort of yeah <laughs> Yeah, just sort of another negotiating tactic, or, or art- an attempt at a negotiating tactics. Like no, kind sure. of, it's like Edward Wood was has bought a book, you know, transfer negotiating tactics one hundred and one, and he's got, yeah. he's now on page four. Well, you know, everyone else has kind of written the book. Stand or, up and, and, and start to leave the building. The car salesman yeah. will call you back before you exactly. get to the door. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing. It's, it's like the idea. Oh me. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this idea that they're, they're kind of they're leaking the idea that well if 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 you're asking too much money then we're just going to walk away like there aren't nine other clubs queuing up to to buy Ellen Holland and I know we've kind of we know the economic situation of the football world at the moment, but Erling Haaland is the sort of player that someone is going to do something stupid for, uh, and you know someone is going to pay that that money for him. Whether it's this summer or next summer, or, or, or whenever it is, but just the million <laughs> pound per week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I. Um, it's strange the way football works, and I remember watching Alfinga Holland sort of trudge around Nottingham Forest midfield in the mid nineties, and I, I definitely thought at the time that guy is going to turn into the most highly paid agent in the world. <laughs> Give that guy's DNA a bit of a stir, and you'll come across a you know you'll produce a, a generation-defining exactly. forward. Yeah, absolutely. don't bother, yeah. don't don't bother playing this guy in midfield. Let's just put him out to stud and see what happens. <laughs> Get him with the sexy horses. Anyway, listen. Um, uh, I'm not saying they're good at it. I'm just saying. I'm just. I was. Uh, I think you're right. I think you're right. The mailman. Seb's not right. Uh, we'll be back after this <laughs> to uh, talk about West Ham and Leicester City, which was maybe the best game of the weekend. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ding, ding, ding. Best game of the weekend time. It was West Ham 3, 2 Leicester City. Fabulous game. Entertaining game. Hmm? Excellent performances from uh, Jesse Lingard and Kalachi Iheanacho in particular. But let's begin with West Ham who have rejoined the top four with this victory. That's right, they have rejoined the top four with this victory. What the hell? Now just one point behind Leicester and one ahead of Chelsea. So it's it's tightening up around that area. Um, Seb, this West Ham team reminds me a lot of Moyes' Everton. Now, I'll explain my lazy comparison because it's not as lazy as it sounds. Not necessarily in the way that they play, but in their qualities, yeah? They're, uh, they are physical, and they, they are great on the counter, but they can play, yeah? You don't look forward to playing a team like this because they're sort of unpredictable, and they always seem to, to have a chance. So they remind me of them in that way. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, and also it's a, it's a team forged out of relatively unheralded players. I yeah. could say they are more than the sum of their parts. And I, you know what? Carve I, I, the rock. Well, I... <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy watching them. I would have enjoyed it more had you not um, dropped a huge spoiler in the WhatsApp group. Well, you that should, was... you should, you should yeah, indicate that you're behind. And also, I that was wasn't a spoiler, behind. by the way. Well, that it, it wasn't was a spoiler. Can you, I say you wrote something uh, like "Lol, uh, Lingard"? You know, are you watching? No, which no, could have uh, indicated uh, that something uh, had happened actually, around Jesse Lingard. Actually, <laughs> yeah. totally unacceptable. Let me read what I wrote to you because I didn't spoil anything. Uh, I was just being prescient in a way that um, you wouldn't expect me to be. I said, have missed the first 20 of this. Are you watching? We haven't spoken much about Lingard, so I'm paying attention to him. This is before he scored. Okay. 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 I said that. And then you said, on delay, just putting up some lighting in my house that's got four floors. And then I said, <laughs> oh, shall I not tell you what's happened then? Lol. I won't. And he, you said, yeah, no spoilers. A thumbs up from me. Hadn't, haven't done any spoilers to this point. At which point you say, obviously other than Jesse Lingard is scared. <laughs> and I said, no, I said this before anything to tell you about happened. And then that was the last time we spoke. Until also, this moment. If, That's not true. It, even if there was a kind of indication that Jesse Lingard had, had scored, is that a huge spoiler? Is that, no, that exactly. is, isn't that kind of he, he's playing quite well at the moment and he's probably going to score in a lot of games? Is that not the kind of the equivalent of claiming that you know, hey, well, you know what, right. someone there's some been some kind of backstabbing and uh, and uh, you know underhand dealings in line of duty. Uh, <laughs> huge, what a huge spoiler! Can you believe it? Friends of the Tory party MPs have got another lucrative contract. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, eight goals and three assists in nine games for West Ham. Seb, tell me if that's a spoiler. Seb, they were good though, weren't they? Well, they really sorry, were. when I they tweet really this were. podcast out, I'm going to put the massive spoiler in it that in this podcast, Joe bullies Seb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Would sorry, you believe sorry. it? It was fun. It really was. It was... I mean, I, I'll be honest, I, I don't want to be unfair to West Ham. I just, I, I couldn't stop looking at Leicester because I, spoiler or no spoiler, I kind of expected uh, West Ham to be in an advantageous position by the time I started watching. And it just felt like it's happening again, Brendan Rodgers. 
just feels very much like this. This mm. was uh, as bad a half as Leicester have had all season. It's just dreadful. Do you mean um, the sort of end of season tail off? I meant the end of the season tail off, but also the story broke about those players that had um, broken COVID regulations to go to Ayose Perez's house party, which it's why James Madison wasn't playing. So Ayose Perez, ah. James Madison, uh, the injured Harvey Barnes, who wouldn't have played anyway, and Hamza Chowdhury uh, all attended a house party at Ayose Perez's house last week and were right. dropped for this game, which I don't know. I'm not sure whether I'm being fair to Brendan Rodgers or not, but it was sort of... Do your players do that if you if they fear the kind of the repercussions or do they just think they're going to get away with it? It just felt like, oh. OK, you're in the top four, but don't, you know, have a look at that table because you haven't got Champions League football secured uh, yet. In fact, your your situation with kind of Liverpool improving, Chelsea all of a sudden looking really good. Uh, your, yeah. your situation could become pretty precarious within about two or three weeks. But and West Ham are brilliant. Don't, don't get me wrong. I just Leicester... That's to disappoint me sometimes. You're not angry. You're just disappointed. <laughs> I'm just disappointed. Just disappointed. <laughs> disappointed. Alright, we'll come back to we'll circle back to Leicester because I want to talk about Ian Acho, who was really uh, not disappointing in this game. Uh Squad Harmony. Hmm. Nick Miller. Squad Harmony. I was reading Roshane Thomas's recent pieces on West Ham uh, during half time. Uh, which was fun. He's written a lot about how harmonious the squad is now under David Moyes, which is quite a change from recent seasons. Apparently, they all do quizzes together when they're travelling to games. I didn't say it was fun. I said it was harmonious, right? There's a lot of tight-knit friendships and groups within the squad. Everyone loves a friendship. And uh, Socek and uh, and uh, Sofal are known to train together on their days off. This appears to have had a big impact on club culture, like Declan Rice staying behind to practice free kicks and penalties. Also, Jesse Lingard has fit in extremely well, apparently. And uh, crucially, you can see it in the way that they play because they're having a good time. My favourite moment of this game was when Fabianski fell over and landed on top of Dawson. And then they were sort of like lying across each other uh, for 10 seconds and they were having a good old laugh about it. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> that, was your, wow. that was your takeaway from the game. It was. No, it was... <laughs> I just thought it was funny. <laughs> it was, they just looked like they were, having, they were having a nice time. That's all I'm saying. They look like they're having a nice time. Um, and you can see the harmonious stuff in, in the way they play, can't you, Nick? You can. I mean, it's, it's always slightly tricky um to kind of figure out um the the whether the, the, the kind of the whole team spirit thing is 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 frequently kind of cited as a um an explanation as to why teams are winning and you know I, i'm I'm, sh- I'm sure it is but you it's it's always there was a, a quote i think it was from a, a baseball player that basically said that team spirit team spirit and team's harmony is actually bullshit it's just everyone's happy that you're winning um, right yeah and so you're never so like sure. Barry Bonds, who said that, or something. Was it better? <laughs> well, probably, yeah, quite possibly. Sounds like um, something you might say. <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 you know, you're never quite sure which way around it is. Whether the team spirit was caused the victories, or the victories caused the team spirit. But if it is, let, let's just kind of you know say that um, it, it is this kind of fine team spirit that has fostered this brilliant atmosphere in the squad, and that's why they're they're playing really well. It's interesting that 
um, this is something that West Ham have been able to do because it's been something that this season at a time when um, the usual things that people do to kind of foster team spirit aren't really allowed. You know that you're, you know, you're you're kind of standard socialising or team jollies away to wherever, unless you're Celtic, of course, when you just bugger off to Dubai and uh, you know w- without any uh, uh. thought to the consequences. But or a cheering crowd, even. Mm, well, yeah, I mean, that's um, something that. Uh, the, the you know the absence of a crowd has actually um, done West Ham quite well, but but the I think Sam Allardyce has, has kind of talked about this quite early on, and when he got to West Brom, and it's not necessarily an excuse for why he hasn't been able to turn them around, but all the things he would usually do to um, to kind of foster team spirit uh, has gone out the window. It's also something that. Um, uh, was mentioned a bit at Nottingham Forest as well. My 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 team. There was kind of two things to this. Firstly, they signed fourteen players in the summer, which was insane. But it's doubly insane, <laughs> given that they signed fourteen players and there was absolutely no opportunity for them to sort of get to know each other beyond training. Um, so if if David Moyes has managed to kind of uh, do this and foster this this team spirit, it's kind of interesting. Uh, how how he's done it and and why it's been so successful. You know, someone was going to get it right. Um, it, it also probably helped that they, they the, the, the squad is kind of that there have been a few few additions, but sort of broadly the same as, as last season. Um, and then Suchek in uh, Kufal came came in. Well, Suchek was uh, was Suchek here last season? Did he come in on loan? Came in last January, January, January yeah. of last season. Yeah. So Suchek was there. Kufal came in in the summer. Obviously Lingard. Uh, who else did they sign? Ben Rama and Dawson. I think they're the only thing. So it's not so kind of so it's sort of so it's a few decent additions, um, or what turned out to be decent additions, um, without being kind of. You know, without a, a, a huge squad overhaul, which again we were talking about the, the sort of transfers that Manchester United don't make anymore, is not the kind of thing that you associate with West Ham. Like you know, th- th- this January probably the sensible thing for them to do would have been to sign a centre forward because they don't really have one at the moment. Um, but they didn't. They clearly looked around. There wasn't any anyone that they fancied, so they didn't sign anyone. In fact, they actually they they sold Sebastian Haller, didn't they? So. It's the sort of thing that a few years ago, what um, that West Ham would have absolutely panicked and spent some, either spent some kind of ludicrous amount of money on on someone, or loaned in some over the hill, um, creaking centre forward on colossal wages, who would have messed up everything that they had um, spent the previous few months um, kind of building. So it, it's one of many ways in which West Ham have um, have kind of been successful and been sensible and kind of learned from previous mistakes this season. Well, I did think for the first time, you sort of hinted at it when you were talking there, Nick, but I thought for the first time watching a football game, I wonder what it will be like when fans come back because it struck me this West Ham team might in some ways be a benefactor of that. I think there are teams that we can say that about. Man- I think Manchester United are, are a benefactor in some ways of their not being a crowd too. I think there are a sort of list, list of others maybe and some that would have lost as well. Um, but... I thought this team is really, you know, it's achieving a lot. They're currently fourth place. What will happen, do you think, after a whole season of no supporters when, you know, let's let's assume that everything goes to plan with the sort of country rehabilitation and the first game of next season we have, you know, thousands of fans in the ground. They'll boo at some point, right? 
even in the middle of a, like a good run, if something bad happens or if something, you know, they'll boo. And I wonder if the players have sort of forgotten what that feels like. I was thinking if it was me and I was a West Ham player and I got a boo for anything, anything at all <laughs> in the first like 10 games of next season, I think, well, fuck you. Like, what? where were you last year? Like, we did, we did, you know, we finished fourth. We've had an amazing time. We did it without your fucking booing. And now you're here booing me. Fuck off. That's what I think. Where were you last season? We were legally prevented from being here. <laughs> yeah. uh, be where were you? <laughs> no, I mean, though, it might, it might have like an adverse effect. It might, you know, does one, does one uh, uh, forget about the, the sort of, you know, you must grow numb to the booing, right? But if the booing isn't happening, maybe that shield, that outer crust, begins to peel and flake. Maybe. I mean, I kind of, to an extent, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but the, the other way of looking at it might be that they have, um, you know, in this year, without um, the, the kind of distraction of fans booing them, they've sort of, I don't know, healed a sort of, you know, rift or Boo-wound. whatever. They, they've kind of, they've, 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 They've made things better, and uh, in, in everyone's absence, they've made everyone a, a little bit happier. So by the time they get back, everyone will just be delighted and won't boo at all, and you know will bout the feet of Declan Rice uh, for uh, everything he does. Maybe I mean that could be absolute bollocks, but you know what do they call um, it? a long distance relationship? You know, sometimes yeah. they work, but and but more often than not, they don't. <laughs> when you don't really love each other, okay, uh, Lingard's oh, future. Christ. It rem- I didn't mean that about West Ham and, you know, fans. I didn't mean it about them. Lingard's future remains uncertain. Uh, there is no option to buy clause within the loan contract, so he will return to Old Trafford in the summer. Dun, dun, dun. His contract was recently extended to the summer of 2022, so one would imagine, Seb, that the idea was, to, and this begins a long period of me talking, was to sell him this summer... Yeah, it wouldn't be lunacy to think that that position may have changed, though, because his value could have increased, or maybe maybe Manchester United want to try him again, I don't know, due to his West Ham performances. Uh, other reports suggest that Manchester United have considered the option of using him as part of a deal to try and sign Declan Rice, which I guess would put them in a good position uh, if they wanted to do that. I know Declan Rice will have other suitors too. Uh, but also Lingard will now have options because he's put himself back on the map hasn't he even though he's massively outperforming his xg yeah i suppose so but if you're if you're if you're just in lingard now and you found a manager who treats you as you want to be treated and gives you a certain degree of importance in a football team i think you in this stage Stay of his in the career bed. yeah like it'd be a bit silly to turn his back on that and sort of you know go to everton or something i i I don't see it. I think he'll. Um, I think the, uh, the 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 contract extension bumps the fee up a little bit, but I I think that'll be one of those that's done within a couple of weeks of the season finishing. Would West Ham pay thirty million for him? That's what United uh, value him at, apparently. Well, it depends. I mean, if if, if Lingard makes it clear that that um, that you know he he only really wants to go to West Ham, then United are going to struggle to get an auction going because that tends to be how transfers work in the sense of like you know agents, um, sort of gather opinion from other always clubs about, talking like, aren't they always always talking. chattering away so yeah i, I don't think it'll be, 30 million is a lot given his age um and he yeah. you know 2022 is, is is just a single year so there isn't that much contract pressure so sell him now or lose him for free it feels like it feels like west hammer they're in a uh, this is probably quite a negative way of looking at it but almost in a sort of no win situation here because if they yeah. have the opportunity to buy him after after this you know few months how brilliant he's been they can't really not 
buy him. But on the other hand, paying thirty million pounds for him on the basis of a few, you know, a, a relatively short period of time, and will presumably get, give him a four or five year contract, is exactly the sort of stupid thing that that West Ham used to do. I don't know whether it is actually actually a, a stupid thing, but it kind of it feels like it could be. So I don't know. They, they, they may pay you know, 25, 30 million for him and it works out brilliantly and Jesse Lingard carries on, not presumably not at the, the pace that he has been doing in the last few months or he turns out, but he just turns out to be a very good player for the next few months. But it, he could, they could also pay a lot of money for him and he goes back to the, the sort of the Jesse Lingard of the last last couple of years, which you know, we, we we kind of know about the some of the circumstances around why he was underperforming in the last couple of years, but yeah, it's it, I, I wouldn't I, I don't necessarily envy West Ham's position uh, when well, it comes it would, to. Would it be kind of good if he stopped to playing so well for the next yeah. for the final six games if he just I, I like it's went probably, back it's to, probably too know, late though isn't it he's been so yeah, good that yeah. he, even if he kind of just stands in the center circle scratching his ass for the last six or seven games then he's still done enough to make people think you know he, he is Wait, he's back one of those people seems to be gareth southgate because he was spotted making some um some very diligent notes uh from the stands of london stadium after jesse lingard's second goal and you think, okay, so if you then, he's presumably going to be part of the European Championship squad. What if somehow, as a result of injuries or you know the continuation of this form, he finds himself starting for England as a really good tournament, and then West Ham are in, in a position where they might have to pay like <laughs> 50 million. because they, if they don't, they're going to get absolutely pelted by their fans because he's played yeah. so well. If you if you don't if you don't take up well, not the option because there isn't one, but if you don't take him permanently now. Then yeah. um, you've you got to take criticized. the Jalings. You got to take. Also, you, I think this is why they always want the option to buy, right? Just so that they don't. Yeah, absolutely. Make so that more valuable if, and then have to buy him. Well, because if it's a successful loan, you, you, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot a little bit. And also, quite rightly, West Ham fans would say, "Hang on, you spent 40 million quid on Hilaire. Goodness knows how much on Felipe Anderson. You know, if 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 the name is big enough, you'll spend heavily. But just because it's Jesse Lingard, you're not going to spend thirty million pounds when he's actually played very well for us. Well, so let me um, let me say this to you, sir. Example of a pretty smart business dealing by Manchester United. Uh, yeah, accepted. I guess so. Accepted, so. accepted, so. accepted. Yes. There yeah, he goes. Yeah, he's yeah. accepted it. It means it's true. It's like, a, it's like the sort of the the the, <clears throat> the binary twin to the David de Gea contract. It just go, it just feel feel a little bit the world's uh, very worst contract. Does <laughs> it does feel a little bit? Um, although you know, as as you say, Seb has said it. So so uh, Seb has agreed. So that's no, true. It does feel a little bit more luck than judgment. They didn't. I don't know. I don't think they. I'm not necessarily sure that this was this would have been part of the Grand United plan. Are you saying just, that when Bob Dylan wrote Highway 61 Revisited that there wasn't a bit of luck in there? He says he can't even remember writing some of those songs, Nick. Yeah? <laughs> channeling, channeling the universe. Yeah, we so, do, how do what you think? We Everybody does everything on purpose all the time? Give it a break, Nick Miller. Give it a break. Christ, well, I mean, going to, <laughs> taking this argument to the, this logical extension, there's no point in us doing this podcast, really. No, it's you know, literally uh, not there. It's all, it's all. Uh, I mean, yeah, true. But the, 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 there's, it, it's all luck, and no one means anything, and uh, you no, know, nothing true. is nothing is explainable. Just an, another true. thing about what is what is authorial intent? We have no idea. Just another thing about Jesse Lingard. I think I had to be doing this out the other day, but it, it's going to look for someone in kind of a few years' time who is 
purely tracking the kind of career progressions of players through international tournament squads. It's going to be really weird to for someone looking at Jesse Lingard. They go, okay, he was in the 2018 England World Cup squad. Then he was in the the next the the twenty Euro twenty twenty one whatever we're calling it squad the next tournament that must have been a a a brilliant seamless perfectly smooth three years in between he must have been great for all that time to retain his place in the squad fully fledged England international scoring goals no doubt for club and country you know it's very confusing very confusing okay we were going to talk about Kelechi in action but perhaps we'll do that um on another uh Leicester section of another podcast because we we've massively overrun here uh but great player nine goals in six games we'll come back to him as you've probably heard by now we've teamed up with BetMGM this season we'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet use bonus code the athletic and you'll get a one-year subscription to the athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM here's how it works Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we're back now. Manchester City 1-2, Leeds United. Quite a funny game. Hmm? Key points were, of course, Stuart Dallas's two goals, one at the end of each half. Uh, Liam Cooper sent off after a VAR call just at the end of the first half. And Leeds, despite defending quite deeply for huge periods in the second half, uh, still managed to win the game. It's quite funny. Uh, One might describe this as a snatched victory. That person would be wrong, because that is not a fair description of Leeds' performance, I don't think, Seb. Uh, Particularly throughout the first half, they dominated the game, didn't they? And Man City looked a little bit toothless throughout. Yeah, we actually had a WhatsApp exchange about that, where we talked about this being Guardiola football at its absolute worst, which is just sort of that sterile domination. But no, hugely unfair just to call it smash and grab, because this was... You know, for for the first sort of six months of this season, the narrative around Marcelo Bielsa has been, oh yeah, well he, he can't he can't coach you know a defense properly, can't install a, a low block, can only play one way, and it's boom or bust. And this was kind of this proved it to be bollocks. They were brilliant. They defended so so well, especially with ten men. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where do you think these people go after they've crawled out from underneath the thing? And then why is the thing? You know, when the people say they crawl out from underneath it to say a thing, and then they crawl back in again. What's the thing? They're kind of like, what they tend to do is they, they tend to like start up pro Jose Mourinho Twitter accounts. <laughs> even if they're the Manchester City fans. 
yeah, they just, you know, you just move on to the next kind of hopeless topic, you know, just to, just to rally against something, you know. Sure, sure. Mm. Well, anyway. Uh, hey, do you know what I like, Joe? Because I, I, oh. I did want to highlight this because I felt like it was unusual and interesting and fresh. Hello. But afterwards, uh, a reporter asked Marcelo Bielsa whether this was the kind of the realisation of some sort of strategy. Had he, you know, being such a diligent coach, had he coached a scenario in which his side were down to 10 men? And he kind of laughed it off and said, uh, nothing that happened today was down to any influence on my part. But I'll bear it in mind, the possibility to train for this situation. And I thought it was really nice because there's a lot of managers who would have grasped that as an opportunity to go, well, yeah, no, of course, I, uh, you know, we, we spent seven and a half hours on this specific uh, situation on Friday afternoon. And, uh, you know, look at me being a genius. Oh. I read on The Athletic that uh, one of the funny things about this game was that they trained it this week. <laughs> mm-hmm. They've trained for it a lot in the season and uh, and they coincidentally had a session the week leading up to this game where they did the defending with 10 men thing. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's nice for a manager not to do the... Because I, I feel like I've, I've been in a couple of Allardyce press conferences and a few Pardew press conferences where they've tried to kind of seize that praise all for themselves and make it you know kind of present oh i take the point sort of the I'm, I'm, I'm strengthening you, we might be across purposes yeah here. oh i see no okay. yeah i'm strengthening i'm saying that like even though he, i mean he should take some uh credit of course clearly yeah. <laughs> clearly that yeah. works but even though they trained for that specific scenario yeah, 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 yeah. uh this week he's still saying no 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 he, he well, does it the other way he kind of yeah he does it the other way around as well when he when uh, it, when Leeds lose, he, he he does tend to go. Yeah, that was my fault. Um, you know, don't don't blame the players. I'm not going to kind of. You, you're not going to get any kind of same coach, different players kind of talk from Bielsa. One of the reasons that he's kind of broad, likable in a broader sense, but probably one of the reasons that um, that players like him and and will uh, kind of gladly buy into this kind of insane way that he works is that you know you're more likely to do that with a a coach that um is a likable and b isn't gonna um throw you under the bus every 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 defeat yeah he's the inverse Mourinho I like it um it feels a bit unfair to keep berating you Seb because Alex isn't here so I can't uh I can't spread out my berating but um in your short answer to my first question you actually used all of the other questions they had. So <laughs> yeah, you, you we... said, turns out Bielsa can coach a low block. Uh, you mentioned that it felt like Guardiola football at its worst. And then you did the Bielsa quote, which was all three of my next questions that summarised this game. Was... So if, unless anybody has anything random or some jazz scat to uh, to say about that, I'll just stop talking and you guys, uh, you can say anything. Nick Miller. Well, one thing that was, was quite nice is that before the game, Guardiola said he'd watched 20 hours of Leeds footage um, before the game, which was, uh, I think he said he'd watched it all in one day, which is a, which anyone, anyone else, anyone else you'd think that was a kind of a figure of speech or an ex, a huge exaggeration, but you can't, I, I buy that actually. I can buy that uh, Guardiola genuinely did squeeze 20 hours of Leeds footage into one day. Um, I mean, Time firstly, well it kind of, yeah, well, exactly. But he kind of, uh, firstly, it sort of obviously did him no good because Leeds played in a way that Leeds don't generally play and we, you know, the circumstances for that were obvious, whether that was by, you know, Bielsa's design or, or it was just um, kind of players coalescing into this kind of defensive low block, 
naturally or whatever. The other thing I quite liked about this game was it's um, obviously uh, Guardiola rested a number of players with uh, kind of bigger, more important tests in mind. Um, but it does feel like the sort of result that Guardiola will spend the next two or three days stewing on and then do something completely yeah. mad for the Dortmund game and completely make, make, a, make, make an absolute mess of things. I cannot Ooh, I like that. Let's do Stuttgart and Dortmund because, you know, we'll probably talk about, I mean, we'll almost certainly talk about Manchester City later in the week after the, uh, the second Dortmund game. Stuttgart and Dortmund, Seb, uh, two German teams, uh, a Spinaka? Really great, this. So one of the reasons why Dortmund is so much fun, I'm not rising to the German bait. One of the reasons why, why Dortmund is so much fun is the, because they're so flawed and yet somehow they're still capable of putting together really good moments of attacking football. Uh, one of them led to Jude Bellingham scoring his first Bundesliga goal. Nice finish if you haven't seen it. Oh. A little bit of shit keeping behind it, but still nice, nice strike. Um, and a first senior goal for a guy called Ansgar Knauf, who is a, he was 19 years old, a winger. Um, some of my Twitter followers, because I, I sort of uh, questioned who he was, and uh, a couple of people, um, including uh, Kevin Hatchard and Derek Ray, came back very kindly just to say he was um, he was actually one of the best players, or probably the standout for Dortmund's second team for much of this season, oh, last season. Great really, name as well, right? I mean, I, he, great name. I don't, I don't know very much about him, but he the way he took his goal was brilliant. It was so expressive and so confident, and it was it was one of those things when when a young player does it, uh, having. I think about 45 minutes of senior football behind him. You really take note. Um, and on a similar vein, um, not in Stuttgart-Dortmund, but in Bayern Munich's very disappointing draw with Union Berlin, Thiago Dantas uh, played. It was his first Bundesliga start, and he's kind of, he's fun. He's a sort of um, sort of diminutive pivot type with very soft feet, does all the basics really well. Um, and if Alex were here, he would be telling you probably to watch out for him in the future because he looks oh. like a super player. Got snapped up Another from, great uh, name. Great name, Thiago Dantas. He feels like a sort of, um, like a, a, a football manager regen or like a, a sort of someone you might have found in pro evolution soccer before they had any licenses. Um, to me, it sounds like a, a, like a 70s uh, cop from Miami. Someone who goes, Thiago, Thiago Dantes, you know? Yeah. Great yeah. name. Yeah, really yeah. good name. And they uh, he's 20 years old, oh. Portuguese, and they he got um he got snapped up from Benfica B uh on the say so of uh, Hansi Flick apparently. So um that looks like a, a a deal well done. Great. Okay. Well, there was also an El Clasico. I don't know if you're supposed to call it A the Clasico, which is what I've done, but there was also El Clasico. Uh Seb you said it was actually the best Clasico in ages. It was just fun, Joe. It was it was quite chaotic, and the quality of the football wasn't always great. But it was uh, about an hour of it was played in a monsoon. With uh, there was moments in the second half where Zinedine Zidane was actually having to uh, return to his dugout and towel himself down. It was the <laughs> rain was so heavy. Um, You're really speaking my language. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> it was great. It was uh, one one complaint because um, it wouldn't be me if I didn't have a, a bit of a moan about something. But yeah, the second yeah. half included ten substitutions, a goal, a red card, and a two and a half minute stoppage while the referee sorted out his sound equipment. And somehow there was only four minutes added on. Oh, strange. It's, it's a shame rigged. because well, it was just a shame because the last um, the the injury time was chaos. Uh, 
Marco uh, Andre Ter Stegen was up in the box. Uh, bars hit the bar. Um, Real Madrid were kind of throwing themselves in front of shots, and it. I just personally could have done with an extra five minutes of that. It was just good fun. So a bit of a shame that um, it's. A, if you watch enough Spanish football, you see this problem again and again and again. It's just the allocation of stoppage time is just nonsense. It's uh, also um, if you happen to get injured in stoppage time in Spanish football, that seems to not count. So it's kind it's of okay. the end of the game. Really good time wasting <laughs> tactic. Just lie on the floor, and no one will actually yeah. add on any time afterwards. So yeah. it's. Uh, don't know, Come it's such on, a Spain, stupid problem to sort have. it out. Sort it I don't out. Know, it, yeah. it, does, it, just, it just sort of feel like a kind of there's this um, either spoken or unspoken worldwide refereeing understanding that there will only be added time of between two and five minutes unless there is some kind of big identifiable you know a player got knocked out and the ambulance has to come on or something like that but it's just like well we can't really add any any less than two minutes and more than four or five is just stupid regardless of whether you know whether that amount of time has actually been lost in the game so I don't yeah know. it's like it's it's frustrating also it's like it feels as if sort of you know, to to do anything other than that without that kind of major incident, like referee fears being seen as a little bit of a renegade, perhaps, you know, oh, I'm going to add on 15 minutes for all those substitutions and all those 45 second throw-ins you've taken and that minute long goal kick you took in stoppage time. Just like sort it out. It's not, it's not difficult. It's really not difficult. Particularly in this case, because when added, you know, uh, added time was was being um, kind of decided on. It was two one to Real Madrid. I'm sure that when he's totting up this kind of thing, he can see the the flashing in front of his eyes, the front pages of AS or Mundo Deportivo or something like that. You know, well, he's a, he, he another refereeing ref. conspiracy. Yeah, another refereeing conspiracy as he adds on. Finds ludicrous amounts of added time from nowhere, in which time you know Messi scored the equaliser in the ninety seventh minute or something like that. Um, you know that sort of thing shouldn't come into a referee's thinking, maybe, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it did. Yes, Spain. Yeah, you're not as good, Joe. Yeah. Do we have a quotes and facts database? <laughs> Is that what we were saying? We do have a quotes and facts database, and we'll go there now. <laughs> It's Joe's Quotes and Facts Database. Welcome to Joe's Player Quotes and Facts Database. Uh, enjoy the database. Wander around. Look at the walls. They're all full of lights and little buttons. Don't press any of the buttons because you'll die. But the first player is uh, Thomas Socek. I thought we'd do some West Ham today because of their uh, exciting performance. Thomas Socek, uh, position central midfielder. There we go. There's one. Uh, here's a fact about Thomas Socek. According again to lifebogger.com, real quality website, lifebogger.com, I encourage you to check it out in your spare time, uh, partly because you'll have a lot of fun and partly because I really get a lot of my material uh, for the quotes and facts database from lifebogger.com. Uh, so, you know, I'm just going to keep saying it. Hit, hit, according to lifebogger.com, Thomas Socek's hobbies include listening to music, sure, swimming, and travelling to see monkeys. So, you know, there's uh, three hobbies we can all what, what's understand. Travelling to see monkeys. So, yeah. booking holidays to... Depending on... I don't know if there's any need to any try and understand it more okay, than... Okay. Right. He's travelling to see monkeys. He just okay. likes, likes, he likes monkeys and then not yeah. in his house. 
That's he doesn't want to see them outside his house. He wants to travel to see them. I think that's a very reasonable take from Thomas Socek. Here's his quote. He told the Daily Mail, so we know it'll be good. He told the Daily Mail he likes to swap shirts with other players. Okay, who doesn't, you know? But uh, here's the quote. Olivier Giroud is one. I played against him at Chelsea and I scored against them. I met him in the doping test after the game. I just thought it was a weird quote. <laughs> you know, very reasonable that players have doping tests after big games. Uh, but I just, I like the idea of those two guys in the doping test having a chat swapping their shirts you know it's the ben it's the it's the benefits of the game isn't it it's the pros of the job what do they call it the perks of the job anyway jesse lingard is the next one position am of course fact and there's a theme here don't know if you'll spot the theme but i'm pointing it out that there's a theme in case you don't spot it this one's also from the mail online so again <clears throat> you know it'll be good in 2019 uh after walking around the park and spotting several different animals, the pair, uh, the pair referring to uh, Jesse Lingard and John Stones, the pair were treated to some time with a skillful chimp inside a tent. Both players greeted the chimp with a friendly pat on the back before it then perched on a stool and had some food. And that's from the Mail Online in 2019. Uh, and of course, <laughs> the theme there being the primate theme. Don't know if either of you picked up on that, but uh, in the first fact, monkeys were referenced, and in the second, a chimp, a chimpanzee was referenced. So that's the theme. Skillful, skillful, skillful chimps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas Thomas Socek is much more of a, a socialist when it comes to chimps. He doesn't, he doesn't care if they have skills. He's not. He, the prerequisite for the monkeys that he enjoys is not that they're skillful. It's just that they're monkeys, and I think that's a much better approach to um, to traveling to see monkeys. Uh, the quote for Jesse Lingard, I spent ages trying to find, I, th I could have, I thought there'd definitely be a funny one for him, but, uh, you know, turns out there isn't. Uh, so the, the, the best one I could find is this one that says, uh, if, uh, oh, he says, I think if you score, you've got to have fun. Otherwise, what's the point? And I thought, yeah, indeed, indeed, Jesse yeah. Lingard, you do have to have fun. What is the point? I mean, even if you do have fun, what is the point, you know? And that's where we will end today's podcast. It's been a lovely affair. Uh, to the millman, to the miller, to the Dr. Miller, to the uh, to the intangible millboy, uh, Nick Miller. Miller. Ghostface Miller. Thanks for coming. Uh, we appreciate it. Always a pleasure to have you here. Hope you've enjoyed yourself. I really have. Thank you very much for inviting me back. Well, that's good. Well, we'll you know it's working out well, so we'll we'll see you again, whether you like it or not. Seb Stafford Blore, uh, thanks to you as usual for your uh, your dignified uh, um, you know continuation. Thank you. I, I've had a nice time also. <laughs> good, good. Uh, and we'll be back on Thursday. No, Friday. Is it Friday? Yes, it is Friday. And we'll be talking about the Champions League. Alex will be back also. Uh, so look forward to that. Uh, but for the time being, uh, au revoir. Thanks, Tipos.
The Athletic. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football, but which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13. And when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas, and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level, and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. By now, Team X were in the mood, and although Striker A squandered a gilt-edged chance to complete his hat-trick, on-loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to ten men. An afternoon to forget for manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss manager F. Listen to Football Clichés wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic.